So if you will, take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Last week we began a series of messages entitled The Unveiling. We're going to work through this. And today we find ourselves in verses 4 through 8. A message entitled, Here with Your Heart. John, he identifies himself as the writer. John, to the seven churches in the provinces of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. From the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sin by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to God and to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. I am the Alpha. And the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is coming, the Almighty. And all God's people said, let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll take your word today. We pray that you'll open our hearts to it, that we will hear with the hearts, that you will speak to our hearts, that our hearts will be opened and softened. And that you will take residence if you're not there already. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. To me, one of the most funny, or the funniest, and yet the most poignant and truest of all slogans was put together years ago, I think by Verizon. It was one of the cell phones, and I think it was Verizon that said, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Now, have you ever said that? If you own a cell phone, have you ever been talking on a cell phone and just felt like you were talking into space? Anybody? Actually, everybody. There's nothing worse than just be having a conversation with somebody you love or you like or something, a business, and, and, <clears throat> and, you're, and you're talking, and all of a sudden you feel like you're talking to yourself. Because if I'm going to talk, I want somebody to hear me. Hello? Can you imagine how God feels? When he speaks, he wants somebody listening. In fact, when he gives us words, he wants us to listen because our very soul depends on it, if we listen or not. And the Bible is replete with just example after example of how God designed us to listen so that we can find our way through this life and our way to eternity I'm going to give you one example, just one of many. <clears throat> Found in Acts chapter 28, Paul is now ending his ministry. He is there in Rome, and he calls the Jews who are living in Rome to himself. And down in verse 23, he says these things. He says, the, Acts records this, After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging from dawn till dusk. Now, did you hear that? It wasn't a 30-minute message. From dawn till dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. 
He persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your forefather when he said, Go to this people and say, You will listen and listen, yet never understand. You will look and look, yet never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes otherwise. Now, did you hear that? Hearts are calloused. Ears are hard of hearing, and they shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. And the result is that they would be converted, and I would hear them. Therefore, Paul continues, let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, I want to pause there, because this jumped out at me this morning as I was sitting up in the cage going through and praying through for the first time this message today, I want you to think about the implications there. Let it be known that the saving word has been sent to the Gentiles. You remember that when Jesus came, when, when, when Paul began his ministry, they were going to the Jews, and the Jews refused to listen. You know what jumped out at me today? wonder if that's why Korea is having such a revival today. Wonder, wonder if that's why the foreign missionaries are having such a fruitful field today. Because they'll listen. And large measure Americans will no longer listen. They're almost anesthetized to the gospel. After he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a prolonged debate among themselves. You know, the truth is there is a correlation between listening, between seeing, between hearing, And our understanding. There's a correlation with that in our life being changed. In other words, hear with your heart. It's the third level of hearing. You've heard me me share that with you many times. Last week we covered it. Where we just hear and we know somebody's talking to us. It's kind of like our spouse. It's just kind of muffled thud in the background. We just hear it going on. And then we listen for facts, level two. Just give me the facts. And I told you my wife was not here. She's back today. I told you that that's my big deal, honey. Bottom line. uh, I have never been in the doghouse so many times. It's when I say, get to the bottom line. Just, Just what is all this about? Because they want to tell the whole story. And men, you better listen to the whole story. Amen? I thought so, yeah. It's kind of weak. You didn't want to put your wife. I understand. But the third level here is listening with understanding, hearing with your heart. And that is what he is calling us to do today. And I believe our Lord God wants us to listen so badly that he tells us here in the Revelation. In fact, it says John, who wrote it, to the seven churches in the provinces of of Asia. Now watch this. There were not just seven churches in Asia. There were many churches in Asia. He just chose seven. Now why did he choose seven? There could be a lot of reasons. I can tell you. I can tell you some of the speculation. First of all, the seven 
uh, is a, an important number in biblical numerology. Two weeks from today, two weeks from today, a real key for understanding Revelation, the message will be on the numbers of, of Revelation. Seven stands for completion. So it could be that he wanted to be complete. Some people believe, and you can make a case for it evidentiary uh, with evidence, is that, is that each church that's mentioned in chapter 2 and 3 represents a different period time of, uh, uh, of the church age. It would be real easy to say that the church of Ephesus, they lost their first love, would be that first age. It would be very easy to build a case that the Laodicean age of where everybody's lukewarm. And God says, I would that you were hot or cold because lukewarm you make me sick to my stomach. You can make a case for that. But the, the problem for me is that I see seven, those seven churches represented in all the church age since Jesus resurrected. But here's what I will tell you. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gave one message to the church in conclusion. One message to the church. It listed seven times in chapters 2 and 3. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, He who has an ear should hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because, brothers and sisters, please hear your pastor today. The same thing God told the church back in the first century in 95 AD is the same message that he's telling us today. He is indeed giving us a message. And this morning I want us to hear from our heart. As I look at this text, I see messages that I just, I just want to break out into three thought patterns. I begin with, I begin with the message from the Godhead. Now we don't use the term Godhead very much. But it is an accurate and theological term about who and what God is. Now, as we pick up in uh, uh, verse 4, we find, first of all, this message from the Godhead, we find the timely greeting that God gives sends to us. The timely greeting. He says, grace and mercy to you. Now, this is a very common we read in the Bible a common a, a greeting. We read in the Bible with most of Paul's letters that he's re- offering us grace and peace. But what does that really mean? Well, please listen. When someone offers you the grace of God, what they're offering you is the best God has to give. The grace of God is only found through Jesus. The grace of God is you receiving what you don't deserve. The grace of God is He looking beyond your fault. He's looking to your need, and that he's given you what you need. It is the best God has to give. And then when you receive the best God has to give in Jesus Christ and the grace and the, and the eternal life and the forgiveness of sin and all those things that come with grace, then it says peace, and the peace of God follows. Jesus said, peace I'll leave with you. Not the peace that the world gives. I'm not giving you that stuff. I am giving you the, the peace that withstands the storms of life. Too many, too many think that peace is the absence of conflict. I'm going to just tell you something. You can have the absence of conflict and still be torn up inside and not have God's peace. You see, this greeting was, I want to give you the best God could give, no matter what the circumstances, and I want you to have grace and peace from the Father. And then he gets into the Godhead. We see the triune God in this text. Now, triune God. Now, most of us know what the word T-R-I means, don't we? Three. Tri. Three. Again, these are advertisements for two weeks. We'll get into numerology in two weeks. You'll find out that three is for deity. 
D, uh, three is for divine, just like seven is for completion. You see, if you do a cursory reading of, of uh, Revelation, or you just do some curiosity reading, you will think we've got seven Holy Spirits and three gods. Simply not correct. We have one God who has three personages, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you want to see it, it's in the Old Testament, we see God the Father in the fiery cloud. We see God the Father speaking to Abraham. We see God the Father speaking to Moses. He's center stage in the Old Testament. You get into the gospel, so you see God the Son. That's Jesus, center stage. And then after Acts, you see, and until today, you see God the Holy Spirit. You go, Brother Jerry, can you explain that to us? No. I can't. Now, what I can tell you is that I can tell you, I can tell you how people are seen in different lights. I'm my daddy's son. I'm this church's pastor. I'm my wife's husband. I'm my children's father. I'm my grandchildren's uh, grandfather. I have a lot of different titles. But how can, how can it be like we see it in the Bible? God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Can you explain it? No. And you can't either. If you try to explain it, you'll drive yourself crazy. If you try to explain it away, you'll lose your soul. But let me tell you, to me, that is the good news. You know why that's the good news? Because I am serving a God that I cannot explain. Listen, if I could have explained God, if I was serving a God that I could explain... I would not give him my life. I would not give, move my family around to places that we never been before. I would not do those things if I could explain God, but bless God, I can't explain him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He is who was, who is, and who is to come. But I want to just take a second and run down the, the, the Godhead because we see them all three listed here. From the one, it says in verse 4, who is, was, and who is coming. Now, if you look down in verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is coming, the Almighty. So I want you to think about God the Father. He is the one who is, was, and is coming. He is the Alpha and the Omega. So let me give you the encouragement. Let me not try to explain him to him. Explain him to you. Let me tell you how he is going to take care of you if you are his. If you choose to receive Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if God does a work in your heart and you respond to that work and you become his, watch this. It's not going to be long before Satan's attacking you. Amen. And when Satan attacks you, you know what he does most of the time? He will say, I want you to remember what you used to be. And he'll point you to your past. And many people get defeated right there. But please listen. When Satan points you to your past, he always runs up against the Alpha. There is nothing beyond the Alpha. The Alpha is the beginning of it all. He is the one who protects you. And so Satan runs as far back as he can. He can't run beyond the Alpha. So he has to give up if you depend on the Alpha. So when Satan cannot destroy you about your past, he'll point to the future and he'll go, you're never going to amount to anything for the Lord God. Nothing's going to be out. The problem is that when he starts running you toward your future, he runs into the Omega. And when he runs into the Omega, he runs into a roadblock. Because you see, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and Satan is crippled. To pull you down. That is who we're talking about. Jehovah means eternal one. He always has been, always will be. And he reaches out to you through the second person in the Trinity, 
God the Son. That would be, excuse me, God, well, God the Son, but I want to talk about the Holy Spirit first because that's how it's listed here. God the Holy Spirit. From the seven spirits before the throne. Now, there's another number. Again, for the casual reader, you'll think we have seven Holy Spirits. But no, we have one. Jesus said, I send the Comforter to you. Paul writes that we're baptized into one faith and into one spirit. Everything in the scripture tells us that the spirit is one. But notice this number seven again. There's another number. That means that the spirit is complete with all the characteristics of God. He hasn't divested himself of anything from God. He is complete. In fact, if you want to know, is that Isaiah chapter 11, I turn over there. The seven characteristics that he's speaking of is the spirit of Jehovah, spirit of wisdom and knowledge and strength and understanding and counsel and the fear of the Lord. That's what he's speaking of. That's what he's seeing as he witnesses it. You see, the Father and the Spirit are the same. And then we get to God the Son. Then we get to God the Son. Now, I want you to look here in verse uh, 5. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. You see, it is Jesus who leaves heaven and he comes to earth. Now, last week we read John 1, 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, that was Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word Jesus was with God, and the Word Jesus was God. All things were created by him, Jesus. Without him, Jesus, nothing was created that was created. But you ready for this? Down in verse 18 of John 1, it says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. You see, Jesus came to us to explain to us God the Father, His love, His mercy, His grace. Jesus came to us to show the Father to us. And it is only in Jesus that we can find that grace and peace. For by faith you've been saved through grace. You see, the truth is, the reason Jesus can offer us a home in heaven, the reason Jesus can offer us so much is, watch this, because he came to this earth, he lived and he died, and he gave us life through his death. Watch this. It says he's the faithful witness, and he is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was not revived, he was resurrected. He defeated the last enemy you face. If I were to give you a private, most of us in this room, a some kind of sheet of paper go, would you just write yes or no down? Are you afraid to die? You'd be, afraid, you'd be amazed at how many people say yes. Because there's something mystical about death. And yet in, when Jesus is in the house, we have the one that has defeated death. The one who has overcome death. The one who will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And because he is resurrected, he is the king. Did you hear that? He is the king. When he's in the house, he's the lord of the house. And if he's not, in the, if he's not lord of the house, he's not in the house. If he's resident, he's president. That's Jesus, the savior of the world. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the message is, 
grace and peace. And I'll just, I'll just tell you this. As I was studying this, it occurs to me that John is writing. John uh, to the seven churches of Asia. And, uh, and, then, and then from God and from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus. And he gets to thinking about the Godhead. He remembers the Mount of Transfiguration. He can see it. He suspects that he's about to see something. And he breaks into a doxology. And you see then his true, him giving God the true glory, number three. The true glory. It seems like he was just so overwhelmed that he busted into a doxology. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. And I believe that brings us to where we are in this, in this room, in this country. I don't think we get it. I don't think we get the glory of God. I don't think we get the majesty of God. I don't think we get holiness of God because if we got it it would impact us in ways we can't even imagine when we hear him telling us about I want you to have grace and peace and it's me I'm, I'm the one in control how does it not stir our hearts and our souls and our minds Message from the Godhead to us. Now, the next two messages are going to be messages that are very personal to many here. The second message that I see in this is the message for the Godlike. Message for the Godlike. Who are the Godlike? Those are the ones who've been born again, those are the ones who've been changed by the power of God. Please hear me. Matters not whether you're tired of me saying it or not, it's still true. The ones who simply prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, filled out a card, maybe even been through a discovered class and baptized, they're not becoming like him daily. They don't know him personally. It doesn't square up what the Bible teaches. Paul says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are new. And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. That means into a different person. And as I read here, the things that he wants to tell us, those who, who have received Christ Jesus, you look in the middle of verse 5. It says, to him, to him who loves us. The first part of this message is that you are loved. Never let anybody tell you you're not loved. As a child of God, you are loved dearly. We've sung for years, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We've sung, oh, how he loves you and me. The truth is, is that we are loved. Those just remind us. But the secret is, you know, what, Brother Jerry, what's the big deal about that? I have people I love, but watch this. Jesus loved you and he loved me. When we were unlovable. He loved us when we were undeserving. He loved us when we were mean as snakes. The Bible tells us that. It tells us that God loves the world this much. That God commended his love toward us. That God's love is shed abroad. That God's love is poured out. 
And it even tells us that God proved his love. And then you get into Romans 8 and he says, and what's going to separate us from this love? Make no mistake, particularly for those who have received Christ Jesus, God loves you no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life. God loves you. He comes to find us. He comes to forgive us. And he comes to free us. Free us! Which brings us to the second part of what this says. Not only are you loved, but you are loosed. You're set free. You are set free in Jesus. That's the message for the person who's been born again. That's the message for the person who is growing in Christ. <coughs> that is the message for the one, for the one who's given their lives to Christ. That we have been freed from our sin by his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. What can make me whole again, like Adam and Eve were before the fall? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know what the truth is? I found out this week that that word, when it says sets us free, you know what that word free means? It means to scrub you clean. Scrub you clean. Scrub you clean. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember being a four or five-year-old little boy, and I'd go out, and, and I'd just play till I got dirty all over. Don't track that into my house. Well, how, what am I going to do? Stay out here the rest of my life? That's what my mom would say. Don't track that into my house. And then finally she'd say, directly to the bathtub. And when I get in there, she'd already drawn the water. And she let me sit in there for a little bit, I think, to soften the dirt, Teddy. And then in a little bit, she'd come in there. She'd grab that rag. Have you ever had your mother to scrub you? Doggone it. She scrubbed me till I hurt. Uh, behind that ear, and she, it turned the skin red. And you know what the truth is? Is that she'd make sure that I was clean. May I say this to you? That in the blood of Jesus, when he comes to you, sometimes it hurts. He scrubs you till, till it hurts to rub you clean. To him who the Lord set free, to him he is free indeed. You know what? I just suggest this to you. If sin still has a hold on you, perhaps you don't have a hold on Christ. Because he sets you free. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't set you free from the temptation, but he sets you free from the yielding, having to have it. He sets you free from the habit that will pull you down. I'll just say to you, parenthetically, the dirt on my body was no match for my mom and a washcloth and soap. The sin in your life is no match for a Savior and his blood. You've been loosed. And then the last thing that I see here is that not only has he lifted us up, but he will lift us up, and I won't spend much time on this. You see, he lifted us up to be make us a kingdom. He lifted us up to make us kingdom and priest to his God and Father. Now, we can slip over, just, just hear about this kingdom and priest, because Peter puts it this way, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received 
mercy. You see, he, may, he not only takes you from sin, He makes you into what He wants you to be. If you let Him. Brother Jerry, you sure do qualify that a lot. I'll tell you why. It's because I've seen many people start on the journey and get sidetracked. It could be their job. It could be their money. It could be... Uh, a desire to, for popularity. It could be a desire for a position. It could be a desire of a lot of things. They just get sidetracked. And anytime you get sidetracked and sin comes into your life, you become blinded just like David did. Just like David did. The man after God's own heart broke seven of the Ten Commandments at least in just a short period of time because once he was not doing what he was supposed to do, he became blinded to the Word of God. So, the message from the Godhead, message of grace and peace from the triune God. And when we get that message, it may cause us to, it may cause us to sing the doxology, to sing its praises. A message for the God-like, for those who've been redeemed, loved, lifted, loosed. But there is one last message here. It is a stunning, sobering message. It is a message for the godless. This is is for those who do not have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. This designation in itself to me is very frightening. And yet it's very biblical. If you go to Psalm 1, I'll not turn there. Blessed is the man that walketh not, the King James says, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Home and Christian Standard says something like, happy is the one who does not receive advice from the wicked. You see, there are still ungodly people. There are still wicked people. There are still godless people. These are people who are without God. In America, we have bought into the lie that because we're a part of God's creation, we are one of God's children. And if you're going to have a relationship with God, please listen. Please don't miss this. If you've missed everything else, don't miss this. You will never... Enter a relationship with God on your terms. You either come on His terms or you don't come. You see, our Lord God made a way through Jesus. Jesus came and He preached repentance. Before Him, John the Baptist preached repentance. Peter, after Jesus preached repentance. If there is no repentance, there will be no salvation. If there is no salvation, you will never be saved. And if there, you've never been saved, you will not have a relationship with Jesus. If you not have a relationship with Jesus, you are one of the God-less. And for those who refuse Jesus, A day is coming. A day is coming when you'll face the music.
And when I look at verses, verse 7, I see three, a description of three days for those outside of Christ. First of all, there will be a day of awareness. A day of awareness. Verse 7 begins, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. This verse is not talking about the rapture of the church that we'll talk, study in Revelation 4. This is talking about the revelation of Christ. This is when Christ returns for every eye see him. He return with, in, on, riding the clouds. Every eye will, will behold him and know who he is. And for the first time, those folks who are left on earth will be aware that they were wrong. For the first time, they'll be aware of who he is and who they are. And there'll be people, there'll be people who have sat in church service after church service. They've listened and listened and never learned. They've looked and they've looked and they've never seen because their hearts become callous to the things of the Lord. They'll become aware that they're playing games. That they're playing games will have missed the mark. They'll be aware when they see him in the air that it's too late. That they'll never know what it is to experience heaven. That they'll never know what it is to have a relationship with God. They'll never know what it is to enjoy an eternity in heaven. They'll be keenly aware that they've missed it. By the way, the Bible tells us in Romans that everybody has enough information, enough information to know how to enter a relationship with Christ. And to know their need for Christ. It'll be a day of awareness. Look, one day, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. The second part of that day will be a day of accountability. He says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Including, including those who pierced him. Now, some of us would say with a cursory reading that he talked about those folks in Jerusalem. Now think about that crowd in Jerusalem. Early in the week, they were out there waving palm branches and saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at the end of the week, being stirred up by religious people, by religious leaders, their same group is yelling, Crucify him. And, you're, and somebody will say, Well, that's who they're talking about. Those folks who pierced him, they were responsible. Well, yes, they, probably many of those will be there. But please listen, every time you hear, if you have rejected Christ, if you've never received Christ, every time you hear that Jesus died for you, every time you hear that, that he wants to give you a new life, he wants to forgive your sins, he wants to give you a place in heaven, every time you hear that message and you, didn't, and you reject it, you crucify him, you pierce him all over again. When you get to that day of accountability... If you're one of this crowd, you'll think of the times that you sat in a Sunday school class and that Sunday school teacher, that godly Sunday school teacher, tried to implore every member to invite Christ into their life. 
You'll think about the times you heard that. You'll think about every sermon that you heard and every pastor you heard. Give a, give a plea to come to Christ today for your salvation. On that day of accountability, you will think about all those times. And you will realize that all your game playing had nothing to do. And you're not going to be able to play the blame game. You're not going to be able to give an excuse. There will be no excuse in that day. There are no excuses. There are no reasons. And there are no free passes. The truth is, I heard Jay Strack say this many years ago. Satan's playing for keeps while we're playing games. Revelation tells us about that day, that day of accountability. In Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead, and death and hell gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their works. Death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Here it is. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the fire. And that brings us to the third day, not only a day of awareness and a day of accountability, but the third part is a day of anguish. A day of anguish. It says here in the scripture, it says, And all the families of the earth will mourn over him. And it says it's going to happen. When Jesus comes again, riding on the clouds, when he comes to earth in his revelation, he will be revealed for who he is, we will be revealed for who we are. For those who are left on the earth, for those who are left on the earth, it'll be those who have rejected God's offer of salvation through Jesus. It'll be those who have played games. It'll be, the Bible tells us it'll be many who expected to be saved are going to be lost because they've been playing games. It'll be a sad day. Can you imagine being the husband that kept his wife from receiving Christ. Can you imagine being the parents? And after the rapture has gone back and now the revelation comes, you see in your kids and you know that the same fate awaits them as awaits you. And you know that they're there only because of your example. Can you imagine seeing your brothers and sisters there and you being the one that has pulled them away from the love of God? Folks, hear today with your heart what Jesus is saying. Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. The Bible tells us that every person who sins deserves death. And the Bible tells us the gift of God is eternal life only through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through 
we hear a message like this, I pray that if you've never invited Christ in your life, I pray that in just a moment that you'll make that decision. Don't matter how long you've been a church member. Don't matter how many choirs you've sung in, how many instruments you play, how many sermons you've preached, how many Sunday school lessons you've taught. But you know what? Many people say, well, you know, I'm going to do that. But I'm going to do that one day. Back in the 70s, a guy, a guy named uh, Clay McLean penned these words in a song. I got up on Sunday morning, went to the church at 10. I listened to the words I've heard time and time again. The preacher spoke of sinful lives, and it seemed he spoke of mine. But I was young. I had plenty of time. Course, the first course goes like this plenty of time to decide where I'm bound to eternal darkness or to a heavenly crown. I'm just a young man, not yet in my prime. So I'll wait. I've got plenty of time. Second verse tells about him when it says, I walked on down life's pathway, living as I wish to live, out to beat the other fella, out to get what life can give. Making money's not sinful, and having fun's not a crime. But I'm going to wait because i got plenty of time. Third verse. Sobering. Before I knew what happened, my life had passed away. Now millions stand before God's throne for this is judgment day. Eternal darkness beckons and the name it calls is mine. And I thought I had plenty of time. Chorus, plenty of time to decide where I'm bound to eternal darkness or to a heavenly crown. My chance is over, earth days are left behind. Because now I've nothing but plenty of time. Brothers and sisters, you don't know that you have an hour left. If you don't know Christ, hear with your heart today. Verizon said, can you hear me now? And the question I ask is, will you hear him now? Let's pray together.